Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. And now for something a little different. Regular listeners to Clear and Vivid know that we always end our show with seven quick questions, mostly about communicating and relating. We thought it would be fun to pick out a few of our favorite answers, and not all of them are that quick. We always ask the questions in the same order, starting with, what do you wish you really understood? One of our first guests was the celebrated violinist and old friend of mine, Itzhak Perlman. We'd been talking about Beethoven and his late string quartets. And here's my first question to Itzhak. What do you wish you really understood? What do I wish I really understood? Yeah. Oh, Um What was in Beethoven's mind when he wrote all these quartets? That's how, how his mind worked. Wouldn't we all benefit from your yeah, knowing that? Yeah. Well. We kicked off our second season with Michael J. Fox, and he had a really interesting answer to the first question. What do you wish you really understood? Why I like things to be mysteries. Oh, that's uh, interesting. I, I wish I understood why I don't like, I, I, I don't need to understand everything. I just need to understand specific things. I mean, if I could figure out Parkinson's, I could figure out famine or I could figure out something uh, it doesn't have to be everything just one one thing would be great just recently I talked with another old friend someone I've had many conversations with over the years as I've struggled to understand what he grasps so brilliantly mathematics he's Steve Strogatz and when I asked him what you wish you really understood I was expecting Steve to suggest some incredibly abstruse mathematical theorem instead he said <laughs> Well, uh, my dog, Murray. <laughs> That's great. I know Murray. I wish I understood him, too. <laughs> what do you wish other people understood about you? <laughs> How in love I am with Murray? <laughs> well, now I've tipped off our second question. What do you wish other people understood about you? Is the answer I got after a conversation that was both hilarious and moving with Ruth Westheimer better known to most of us as Dr. Ruth. The first thing I wish they would understand about me that I don't talk about my sex life. Put that down there. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> and the second thing I, which I wish they would understand that I'm now 90 yeah. and I have no intention to retire. Do you hear all of you on Alan's program? I'm not retiring. Sherry Lansing coined a term, not to retire, but to rewire. Oh, good. And I use that every day. Yeah, great. Isabella Rossellini is most famous as a model and actress, but our conversation focused on her great passion for animals and their behavior. 
and she brings all of that to life in wonderfully comic sketches. Here's how she answered the question. What do you wish other people understood about you? That I want to laugh. Because <laughs> they, they always think that the most important thing for me is to be beautiful because I've been a model. But I think it's more important for me to, have to laugh. <laughs> That's great. Our third question is one that baffled many of our guests, or at least it had them scratching their heads. But not my old pal, Letty Pogrebin. Letty is a veteran of the feminist movement, and she's dedicated to bringing together people and groups who don't agree, like the Israelis and the Palestinians. And when I asked her, what's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? I got one of the strangest replies I'd heard. Um, may I feel your head? I said, why? Because don't Jews have horns? You, somebody said that to you? In Kansas. Uh, for a long time now, I've been in awe of the dazzling voice and presence of the world-renowned singer Renee Fleming. And I loved her answer when I asked her, what's the strangest question anyone's ever asked you? I get, do you know, are you Katie Couric a lot? You, you get what? I get, are you Katie Couric? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not strange. It's complimentary. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm dying to know what yeah. you answer. Yes. You say yes? Oh, yes, yes. I, I nod politely. <laughs> when I asked the brilliant comic actor, writer, producer, Tina Fey this question, I got a wonderful answer from her. When the movie Mean Girls came out, uh, it came out the same time as an Olsen Twins movie called New York Minute. And I was at a Hollywood Foreign Press uh, uh, thing, and they said, uh, we watched your movie, and then we watched the Olsen Twin movie. And with the Olsen Twins movie, everyone was very laughing. But not your movie. Why? <laughs> <laughs> One of the highlights of Clear and Vivid has been the reunion I had with my fellow actors from MASH. They all had pretty snappy and funny answers to the what's the strangest question you've ever been asked question, including this one from Mike Farrell. Is Alan Alda really as nice as he seems? <laughs> and this strikes you as strange? <laughs> Some of the funniest answers we got came in response to the question, how do you stop a compulsive talker? They were funny and actually pretty useful answers. For instance, here's essayist, broadcaster, and actor Sarah Vowell's answer to how do you stop a compulsive talker. Oh, um, my friend Ben taught me this. If you're at a party and you have a drink in your hand, drink it all down, and, um, and if there are just ice cubes left, you say, I need to go dump this out. I had a really good time cooking and eating and chatting with Rachel Ray in her TV studio, so I guess it was inevitable that her answer to shutting down a compulsive talker would involve food. Oh. <laughs> Feed them. <laughs> they have to shut up long enough to chew or they're going to die, in which case they'll shut up also. <laughs> okay. Works either way. Yeah, right. Here's Lady Pogrebin again. I couldn't resist bringing her back for this one. How do you stop a compulsive talker? By turning your back on them and walking away. <laughs> okay. That's the... Or else by saying, you know, you have spinach in your teeth. Uh, does that work? And they seem to want to go to the bathroom right away. <laughs> <laughs> the brilliant comedian Sarah Silverman seemed to have a slightly different approach when I asked her how you handle a compulsive talker. I think you just listen until they're done. Or um, sometimes... I tell people I um, 
I have to go. I have diarrhea. <laughs> nobody can argue with that, but it is not true. It's a lie. I'm telling them all. Our, <laughs> our fifth question was also one that was kind of a challenge to many of our clear and vivid guests. The question is, is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy? Here's a thoughtful answer from the author and advice columnist Cheryl Strayed. You know, I've never met that person. Um, but I, you know, I, I will say that in this current political climate, I have struggled with understanding uh, some of the ways that people think about the world and about others in the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm grappling with that right now, actually. Um, but, but you know, it, 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 that, it doesn't have a, a face, a, a particular face. It has, um, I'm thinking about people in categories, and almost always when we do that, we go wrong. Mike Tomasello is a much-admired researcher into what makes us humans different from other animals. So his answer to the empathy question came with an amusing twist. Um, well, it's, 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 it's interesting. My, my wife and I both uh, study some of these kinds of things, and we both show, you know, like to think we're empathetic toward all kinds of things. But um, a roach runs across the floor, and I just stomp it. <laughs> <laughs> And she thinks she thinks I'm really turned off my empathy module there uh, for that because she can't she just how can you just stomp on a roach? And I say I've been doing it my whole life. You know, I grew up with roaches and I'm doing it, so um, I can't quite get empathy for uh, roaches. Okay, I was mainly talking about people, but I'll take that answer. <laughs> I had a deeply moving conversation that was also entertaining with Kate Bowler. Kate has written a wonderful book about living with a diagnosis of terminal cancer and having to be constantly hospitalized. Kate came up with this characteristically tart but very funny answer to the question, is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy? Oh, um, yes. Incredibly lucky people who are doing fine and are calling me from the beach. I mean, they're, they'll be okay <laughs> without my empathy. empathy. <laughs> no, I got it. We're all topped up. <laughs> Our sixth question was, how do you like to deliver bad news, in person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? Here's the tongue-in-cheek answer from the renowned psychologist Paul Bloom. <laughs> I think the best way to deliver bad news is to get someone else to deliver it. And, <laughs> the pigeon. And the, the pigeon. I'll, I'll whisper into the pigeon's ear and say, fly, my pigeon, fly. Um, the, the answer is, I, if I could all do it, email. Uh, yeah. I, I've never broken up with anybody by email. I, some things you have to do in person, but, um, but email because I could carefully craft it and then, and then send it. Here's Sarah Vowell again with her strategy. I think in person is best, but when you have sort of bad news, you start with everyone's okay, and then mm. you say what you're going to say. Except everyone's okay, except for Uncle Bill, who's dead. Right. Well, what do you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you handle that? Yeah. Hmm. How do you? Uh, I think you just come out with it. No pussyfooting around, and and I, I don't like and when someone dies. I like it when someone uses the word died, you know. I think just um, euphemisms do not help things. And of course, for Rachel Ray, food plays a part. I don't like to have to give anyone bad news, but of course I would want to be there in person, and I think it should be accompanied with a very deep embrace and a meatball. <laughs> Meatballs make pretty much anything better. Our last question was a heavy one, and it led to some insightful answers. Here's the famed novelist Ann Patchett answering the question, 
what, if anything, would make you end a friendship? Um, someone who tried to get between me and my husband. Huh. Uh, I, I once ended a friendship a long time ago with, with someone who was a friend of both of ours who called my husband and said, you don't want to be with her. She's bad news. And then later apologized to me. And I said, nope, that, that's a deal breaker. Wow. Yeah. Boy, you're full of stories. I know. That's my <laughs> profession. <laughs> Bill Bradley is not only a legendary basketball star, longtime U.S. senator, and presidential candidate, he's also succinct. Somebody who had lied to me three times, not once, three times. How did you pick three? So that's just the way I've always been. Lied to me once, okay, I understand. Okay, I make exception. Lied to me twice. Now I've really noticed that you've lied twice. Lie, to- lie three times. Sayonara. Here's that wonderful wordsmith actor and raconteur Stephen Fry and his condition for ending a friendship. I actually can't bear people being rude. I- I've actually had to end lunches there's a producer friend of mine who who is just monstrous to waiters, and and I've had to say to him, I can't eat with you if you talk to waiters like that. So mm. It's not heroic on my part. It's not that I'm a, you know, some sort of uh, you know communitarian socialist who believes that we should invite the waiter to sit down and join us at the meal. I just think you could treat them nicely, and uh, and and that, I I find it very hard to like someone who. Our last word goes to social psychologist Sherry Turkle. We had a conversation about how she regards machines that masquerade as people to be a threat to human intimacy. What would it take for her to end a friendship? If I found out the person was a robot. (laughs) If you just find out at the last minute, maybe they've been pretty successful. Maybe, but it would just be a deal breaker. A few weeks ago, we asked our listeners to let us know what their answers to the seven questions are. Your your answers. And you posted them on Facebook and Twitter. And in our next episode, we'll let you know what our favorites are. I think you'll have some fun. This has been Clear and Vivid. At least I hope so. This episode was produced by Graham Shedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. And our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid. And I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>